0: This
1: is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. My name is Germ, this is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. Jared Taylor, thank you for joining me in the trenches.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. In the trenches is where I was born and bred, it seems. Oh, tell me more. Well, for the last 30 years, at any rate, I've been in the trenches constantly. I even have correspondents with whom I will sign off of an email message from my foxhole to yours. (laughs) It's an ongoing battle. How is the
1: information war treating you? (laughs)
0: Well, the information war, it's really uh, a disinformation war. A censorship war is more than anything the problem. And I'm sure it's the same with you. In the United States, if you say anything sensible on the subject of race, uh, you are, uh, well, the sky falls and they try to shut you up. And uh, there are various ways to do it. And I'm sure you're all familiar with it. Uh, I used to have a Twitter account, YouTube's channel of lots of subscribers Uh, uh, now i can't even have an instagram account and all i ever used instagram for was to exchange photographs with my children but no no i'm a wicked man and so i mustn't have an instagram account same with facebook all i used it was for communicating with my family but now i can't have a facebook account so the the effort of course is to shut you up and uh, the reason they do that is because they can't refute you Theoretically, if what you and I say is so obviously stupid, uh, mm. any uh, D-grade uh, high school student could be able to understand what's wrong with us, and we wouldn't require any kind of refutation at all. But because they cannot refute us, they do the cowardly thing and silence us. So that's uh, that's my complaint, but it's been a complaint uh, for the last, last oh, five or six years, so I'm getting used to that, and we, uh, we all find our ways around that.
1: There's that old World War diktat, uh, if, um, if you're getting a lot of flack, then you're over the target.
0: Yes, uh, I wish we would get flack rather than simply being rubbed out. That's the problem. Mm. I would be perfectly happy for the people who disagree with me to wish to debate, but that's not what they do. And it is obviously so cowardly and uh, such an admission that they don't have a good answer when all they can do is shut you up. uh, No, it's a very sad state of affairs, especially for a country like the United States that prides itself on the First Amendment and everything goes. And uh, we believe in freedom of speech. Oh, that's such hypocritical baloney. It's uh, there, there's just a, a uniform view practically among younger people and certainly on college campuses that the feelings of delicate non-whites are vastly more important than the value of freedom of speech. And a college professor after college professor has been sanctioned and some of them have been stripped uh, of any kind of teaching Uh, teaching responsibilities because they say obviously true things primarily about race. So this, it's the great taboo. And now, of course, as uh, you and I'm sure your viewers are well aware, now there are all sorts of astonishing taboos about transsexuals, for example, and things we can't say about COVID. Uh, no, the, this, this militant insistence that there is one way to look at things. The book is closed, and anyone who wishes to reopen the book is uh, not just ignorant and wrong, but evil. This is a really a very depressing and astonishing development in the English speaking world. And I think it's near universal.
1: Jared, why do white people matter?
0: Why do white people matter? Why do any people matter? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, for, for we who are white, it is perfectly understandable that white should matter. Uh, We, they are our biological kinfolk. It's like asking a family member, why does your family matter? Well, uh, I, unabashedly love my own children more than I love anyone else's children. doesn't mean I dislike other people's children. I can be quite fond of other people's children, but my children come first. This is a universal value. It's the, 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 the kinship, the solidarity of kinship. And when it comes to white people, we are, white people are our largest extended family. Biologically, we are closer to each other than we are to someone of, any any individual of any other racial group. So it is our family. And if you were to say that white people can just disappear, that's like saying to the Hopi or the Navajo or to the Zulu, well, why shouldn't you mind if you just disappeared? All of those groups take it for granted that they do not want to disappear. They want to prosper. They want to go on forever forever Mm. and forever. That is the most natural and normal, healthy feeling that a tribe, and in that sense whites are a tribe, have for their fellow tribesmen. So why do white people matter? They matter to us because we are white. They should matter to the rest of the world because all human beings have this in common. We share the planet, I don't want other groups to suffer or to go mm. extinct either. I think it would be terrible if the last uh, speaker of Ainu, the Ainu language in Japan, were to die off. That's all part of uh, the great beauty of diversity, real diversity, but real diversity can thrive only when there is distinct separation and uh, different groups can flourish under their own circumstances and in accordance with their own destinies. But uh, white people, Uh, matter to me because I'm white, but white people matter because they're people, just like all people matter. That's a rather roundabout answer to your question, but uh, it is one that, uh, that surprised me a little bit, I must say. Well, I ask because all I hear
1: about these days is why black lives matter. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes black lives matter uh black lives matter of course is the implication that uh, people like me and the united states in general and the whole world ever since uh, the year dot has been acting as if li- black lives don't matter of course in the united states if you were to really see disregard for black lives you would find it among black people in our major cities You can't go for a weekend in Chicago or Baltimore without news of, uh, what's it gonna be this weekend? 20 people shot dead, 10 people shot dead, 50 people wounded. Those are all black people shooting each other. And they certainly don't seem to have much of a concern for black lives. Now, in the Black Lives Matter movement in the United States, the only black lives that really matter and get them all excited are ones that have been lost at the hands of whites. Uh, preferably policemen. Even if there is the mm. even just the slightest ambiguity as to whether or not force was justified in a police shooting, then, oh, black lives suddenly matter more than any lives on earth. And of course, it is part of this idiotic double standard for people to say black lives matter. And then if one were to say, well, all lives matter, then you're a bigot. And this is anti-black racism. But this is the kind of idiocy that prevails in the United States today, not just among blacks, but among this huge number of up, hopped up, uh, hypnotized, uh, uh, really crazy white people who are now running the country.
1: But you were born in Japan, is that right?
0: That's correct. I lived in Japan till I was 16 years old and many people must assume that it was the fact of living in a homogeneous country that made me conscious of the importance of uh, racial coherence or cultural coherence. That's really not true at all. My parents were missionaries, they were very liberal on the question of race, and uh, I can honestly say that I was a typical egalitarian liberal uh, all throughout my upbringing and until I was perhaps in my 30s. So. Uh, although, in retrospect, uh, yes, I do admire the fact that Japan is homogeneous, that J- the Japanese instinctively have a sense that their country is for them, as all healthy racially conscious or ethnically conscious groups do. So in retrospect, I see and can admire the aspects of Japan that I think make it Japanese and make it healthy. But I can honestly say that that part of my experience did not affect my own thinking about race. One of the experiences I had, if you're mm. interested in, well, mm. as I say, till my mid 30s or so, uh, I was just a, a typical egalitarian. Uh, But one of the experiences that really did begin to knock me off my egalitarian tracks was one that I had in Africa, as a matter of fact, um, uh, West Africa. I'd been traveling in Ivory Coast. This is in 1976. And uh, Ivory Coast was really doing well then. They had a very strong French presence. And uh, the, the streets were paved. People were pretty well-dressed. At that time, uh, they've stopped doing it now, but they talked about uh, Ivory Coast as the Japan of West Africa because uh, it had industries that were doing well. Well, I traveled overland from uh, Ivory Coast into Liberia. Liberia was a complete wreck. The, the streets were a mess. The, the buildings were all tumbled down. People were dressed in rags, obvious, just terrible poverty. And uh, I went to Monrovia, the capital, and uh, at that time I was sort of vagabonding around various different African countries. And I always made a point of going to the university, meet young people, uh, smart young people. I was pretty young at the time. And uh, at the University of Monrovia, I asked a young black guy, you know, I, I don't mean to be insulting, but I've just come from uh, Ivory Coast. Uh, everything is so much better there. Now, why is Liberia such a mess? He said, oh, a very simple answer. We did not have the benefit of being colonized by white people. Now, at that time, uh, I, I had been trained and to think that colonization was this brutal, exploitative thing that held all of these poor Africans back. But he took it for granted. No, no, no. White people brought, brought civilization to Africa. And if you didn't have white people, then uh, what you get is Liberia. Uh, but that that was so. That, that was one of my awakening experiences, and it took place in West Africa, and uh, certainly not in Japan.
1: Funnily enough, that Japan is a fairly successful country, uh, if we look at multiple vectors.
0: Yes, unquestionably. There's no such thing as a race riot in Japan. They mm-hmm. don't have to have uh, racial preferences, or what does it you all call it? Uh, oh, uh, when the, you make preferences for hiring black people, the, the South Africa of the Affirmative, affirmative, affirmative action. Well, I thought you had some other word for it, but in any case, uh, uh, you know, the well, black empowerment would be bl- sorry, black empowerment would be yeah. the other phrase. Yes, yes, uh, they, they don't have to worry about any of that. Also, I mean, let's face it, uh, the average IQ in Japan is about 105 as opposed to an average IQ of whites of 100 and uh, uh, of certainly black Americans of no more than 85. I understand that the average IQs of uh, black uh, Af- Africans uh, it depends on the group, but it, can, it may be as low as seventy. So you you just cannot expect that kind of uh, sophisticated industrial society that you can in, in a place like Japan. Now, Japan has certain other problems. It has one of the lowest birth rates in the world. Uh, there is a kind of uh, degeneracy that comes with simply having a certain amount of wealth i think that's a that's that's affected all the high iq countries all around the world there's not a single one that has replacement level fertility when people get rich they get interested in other things uh, they become more individualistic they don't think in terms of family of the nation continuing it's a very sad thing uh, all of the really i think uh, great Civilization-building peoples, uh, the Chinese, the Koreans, uh, uh, also all white people everywhere—they're uh, not reproducing themselves. Whereas it is uh, the Africans, of course, uh, the Black Africans, who have the most have the highest uh, fertility rates. And uh, the speculation is that by the end of our current century, there could be more. Uh, Africans than Asians, of all of Asia. We used to think of the teeming populations of China and Indonesia and India. No, there could very well be more Africans than all the people in Asia, if current uh, birth rates continue. So, uh, no, the human human race, I think, is uh, facing tremendous, tremendous challenges, not just in the United States, not just in South Africa, but all around the world. Mm. When we talk
1: about white people, what is it that we mean?
0: Oh, people can quibble about what white people are. Uh, I think, in in most people's minds, there's very little confusion. It uh, they're the people that uh, originate in Europe. Uh, I suppose if you wanted to have some kind of definitional uh, identification of them, they'd be people whose ancestors 500 years ago were all living in Africa. I'm sorry, living in living in Europe. I beg your pardon. But uh, you could do a genetic test now, it's easy enough uh, to determine uh, what percentage of um, your genes are from, uh, from Europe or from South America, American Indians, Asians, all of that is very, very easily calculated. Uh, as I say, I don't consider it a real problem. It's a kind of a red herring. Uh, if, uh, if, for example, You were to go to the dean of students in an American university and said, well, we want to have a dormitory only for blacks or have a dormitory or have a graduation ceremony only for blacks. Nobody is going to say, well, uh, how do you find black? Who's black? Uh, no, no, nobody would. No one would ever do that. It's only uh, among whites that detractors will enter into these hair-splitting arguments. As whoa, how do you know who's white? Uh, and uh, uh, the fact is, I'm rather latitudinarian about it. Uh, I think there are some people who might be genetically a fairly significantly non-white, but. Uh, as far as their mentality, their attitudes, uh, uh, the, they identify with all the things that make Western civilization great. I really don't think it's a, its a difficult question. I suppose that uh, when the time comes and uh, we uh, we do succeed in some kind of racial separation in the United States, then the question may come up in some significant way as to, well, who is white and who is not. But for the time being, it's, it's not a question that I think is a, a very difficult or pressing one. I know that in Irania, for example, uh, in South Africa, mm. I believe you have to be Afrikaner. Not only white, yes. but you have to be Afrikaner. And how do they determine who's an Afrikaner? I don't know. I, I suppose they have uh, they have rules for that, but I would imagine for the most part, there's really no difficulty in determining. Either you are or you aren't. And there's not much mm. dis- discussion about it.
1: Well, I mean, there's a joke that I would struggle to, to move there if I wanted to, because I'm not an Afrikaner.
0: Mm, well, uh, that's those are their rules, and uh, they can stick with it. Mm, uh, yeah. uh, I, I think I think what's going on there is absolutely remarkable. It's a kind yeah, of it's a fa- model. It's,
1: fan- it's fantastic.
0: Yes, mm. yes. Uh, I have a friend who may be moving there. Uh, I think he's gone through all the qualifications, and of course, he he's Afrikaner. And uh, there would never have been any 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 dispute about it, but uh, I do believe that all groups should have the right to define who their members are. I believe in complete freedom of association. Yeah, and if you want to uh, establish an Irania only for I don't know uh, left-handed duck hunters, you know that should be your business. But but these days, uh, freedom of association what. Oh, one of the ancient r- rights of an Englishman has been stripped certainly from Americans ever since the 1960s. Jared, I'm going to take ex- exception to that. I hunt
1: buck. Somebody who shoots a duck is not a hunter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you shoot them on the wing, not when they're on the water. Uh, of course. Um, no. You- and it's you know have you ever have you ever shot uh, sporting clays uh, if you not even ducks uh, not very easy to to pulverize those they're moving around you know they're flying mm. around uh, I, I don't uh, I don't uh, take any pleasure in it I've never shot it's, a duck but I've tried to it's shoot too British. clays not all that easy it's,
1: Yes. It's too British for me. <laughs>
0: uh, uh, well, uh, I'm sure Afrikaners have their own uh, blood sports, uh, but uh, some people would probably say that uh, a wildebeest that's, that's just standing still is not real hunting compared to trying to shoot a moving duck.
1: <laughs> when we talk about race, what is it yes. that we mean?
0: Well, I probably shouldn't talk about the human race. Uh, race, really is nothing more than what is considered subspecies in the animal kingdom. And well, I just mentioned wildebeests, so I believe that there are something like a dozen recognized subspecies of wildebeest. And uh, one of the definitions of a subspecies is a, a group that uh, is, breeds exclusively within itself in nature, and the members of which are distinguishable by amateurs at least 90% of the time. And so, uh, I don't know, there's a red wildebeest and some other wildebeest, and uh, just some ordinary bonehead can tell them apart at least 90% of the time. And in nature, they don't breed. They don't crossbreed, I mean to say. Now, when they're in captivity, you can get any wildebeest to breed with any wildebeest. Uh, You can get horses and, and, uh, and donkeys to breed. But in nature, they don't. And so subspecies are on their way, if you leave them alone long enough, they might eventually evolve into species that are no longer interfertile. But that's all they are. Dog breeds are subspecies. There are various subspecies of finches as you know, when when, uh, uh, Charles Darwin was doing his scientific study, he was fascinated by all these differences between different species and and subspecies. In any case, that's all it is. It's biological categorization. Now, of course, some people will tell you, oh, there's no such thing as race. Look at all these mixed-race people. Well, there can be mixed-race people only because there are different races. And... Uh, the, The idea that somehow race is a sociological optical illusion, or it's a social construct, as we're so often told, is just so wrong and so stupid that only very intelligent people could possibly persuade themselves that it's true. It's just one of these utterly preposterous notions i mean uh if you have uh uh pygmies uh they will continue to have pygmy children danes mm-hmm. will continue to continue to have danish children you can tell at a glance that, that they're different there's some sort of this some sort of social construct no well it's just utter utter total foolishness and as i say in biology if you're not talking about human beings people accept the equivalent of race all the time. No one would confuse a dachshund with a beagle or a St. Bernard. Those are the equivalent of, of human races. Now, they are more extreme than the differences in human races, and the differences came about under certain artificial breeding circumstances, but it's no different mm-hmm. from the different reproductive environments of the different human races and how they came to be different. So. Uh, Yes, it's really the equivalent of subspecies in in the animal kingdom. What you're suggesting
1: is that it's not a controversial or taboo concept to suggest that there are multiple human races.
0: No. Well, it is now. But up until, I would say, maybe 20 years ago, when this social construct nonsense first showed up, uh, it was utterly uncontroversial. And among biologists, uh, they have quietly rejected this foolishness about uh, the races being something that is not biological. I think you'd find have a hard time talking to any serious biologist who would agree with that. But if they come right out and say that, uh, well, no, of course race is is real, race is biological, then they'll be considered evil white supremacists. Mm -hmm. So they keep quiet about it. Now, ultimately, Uh, The real problem becomes one in which uh, uh, in medical schools, they teach that race is a social construct and that races are utterly interchangeable and equivalent. Not so. There are different disease rates among people of different races. Uh, Thus, the blood testosterone level of, of blacks, black men is higher than that in white men. And that probably contributes to higher instances of prostate cancer. It's well known that there are different rates of, uh, uh, oh, breast cancer, depending on what the race is. Uh, White women are much more likely to get that uh, weakening of the bones. Uh, What the the heck is it called? Uh, Oh, in any case, uh, and uh, uh, there, there are many different diseases that not only have different occurrence rates among people of different races, but their treatment is different. There is a drug in the United States for treating high blood, blood pressure. It's called Bidil. It works only with blacks. Now, does the drug somehow, uh, is it uh, somehow getting through this uh, uh, illusion about race being a social construct or is the drug a social construct? Uh, no, its it's based, its based effectiveness is based on biological differences. So no the 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 whole idea that uh well not only is it uh nonsense to say that race is a social construct the fashion in the united states today is to say that it was a social construct invented to justify oppression that it wasn't until white people wanted to become colonizers or to dominate other groups that they cooked up this idea of race, say, okay, we are going to dominate these Africans. And so we're going to invent some excuse for it, some idea. And uh, nobody had noticed race before. This, this is just utterly nuts. Uh, the Arabs, uh, uh, long before white people ever showed up, <clears throat> understood that race was real. They had all kinds of views about blacks that are perfectly congruent with ours. The ancient Greeks did. I remember there was some, I can't remember his name. He said uh, blacks were very rhythmic. And uh, if you dropped them from the heavens to the earth, they would beat time all their, on the way down and uh, Arabs, and uh, especially the Arabs, were very uncomplimentary. They, they thought that blacks were very low intelligence, uh, oversexed, and uh, also rhythmic, uh, all of the things that uh, people say about blacks today and are not allowed to. And yet it's also
1: so blatantly obvious the differences. You mentioned earlier Asians, on average, have a higher IQ. Technology, for example, stems from Asia. You'll find that, as Thomas Sowell pointed out, that black people are much better athletes on average than whites. Hence, NBA basketball players are largely black. Um, yes. And yes. and and then the the most obvious is the very different outer um, appearances. Across population groups.
0: Yes, yes. I mean no one could possibly confuse a a Zulu and an Eskimo. They are obviously biologically different. And to say that this is some sort of optical illusion? We're fooling ourselves by seeing these differences? No, I, 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 I'm I, almost tired of talking about this. It's it's so obviously spectacularly stupid, and especially mm. when with genetic testing, which is you can have done in all of these uh, uh, 23andMe and Ancestry.com and for, what, 70 bucks, uh, you can get a very, very fine-grained readout of what your genetic composition is. Uh, are the machines that are reading out these genetic compositions positions uh, are they suffering from this psychological illusion too no uh, yet this is this is s- standard sociological dogma in the united states today and uh, there was a time when this was especially fashionable that whenever there was an article or a book written about race The author would start by saying, well, of course, race is this uh, optical illusion, but uh, it's the only word we have for describing this. And then people would talk about racialized people, that you and I are racialized as white, as if we weren't really but some, uh, because of this illusion we suffer from in this uh, race-conscious world that shouldn't be, some, uh, we are racialized against our will and in the teeth of obvious equality in this vicious and insidious way. You and I are racialized as white rather than actually being white. Uh, Some of this complete fanaticism has calmed down in the way people write about race, but that is the general attitude today race is uh, race is not a valid biological concept
1: well it very clearly is uh if you just read (laughs) cnn (laughs) i mean
0: (laughs) just just walk around just walk down the street in some places that isn't absolutely homogeneous yes uh, you you believe you believe what these fools are telling you you believe the evidence of your senses
1: Mm. i'm guessing by extension multiculturalism, by and large, is a failure. I live in South Africa, as you know, and there is a serious amount of racial conflict.
0: Yes, yes. Well, uh, I'm not even sure these days what people mean by multiculturalism anymore. Often it is a euphemism euphemism for multi-racialism, and I can't think of a single multiracial society in which there is not racial friction. And certainly in the United States and in the other countries of which I'm aware, generally the worst racial friction is between blacks and everybody else. In the United States, there's friction between Asians and whites, or to some degree, to small degree, between whites and Asians. But nobody gets along with blacks. Nobody. They really are just the most difficult group to get along with. But, Uh, the whole idea of trying to build a nation in which race can be made not to matter. And that has been the official goal of the United States, certainly since the 1960s. It is one that is based on utter folly. Human beings cannot be made to ignore race. Uh, Society cannot ignore race, Even even if the behavior of the people of all racial groups were identical, which of course it is not. Even if the average abilities, the average propensities, the (coughs) everything about them were absolutely equal and simply the appearance was different, there would be racial conflict. And when on top of these appearance differences, you have such radical differences in behavior, such as the fact that, oh, in the United States, for example, uh, murder rates among uh, blacks, are 15, 18, sometimes 20 times higher than whites. These are not insignificant differences. In nature, you don't get multiples of even two or three in the behavior of large groups. And when you're talking about multiples in the 10s and the 12s and the 15s, this is a radical and stark difference. And somehow, the idea that you're going to build a society on the assumption that everybody's the same? impossible. You talked about uh, uh, athletics. This is another very good example. Why is it that uh, we're sort of shifting uh, shifting ground in a very substantial way? But in all the sprints, all the winners in the Olympics are of West African origin. They're these very muscular, uh, strongly built men. All the winners in the distance races are East Africans, uh, these slightly built. But uh, you'd have to be a fool to think that mm. somehow you know it's just the fashion or it's just an accident that it turns out that way. No, it reflects biology. And uh, the idea that uh, America, we're all just going to hold hands and sing Kumbaya and all gonna be Americans and forget about race, it's not gonna work as uh, any better here than it's working in South Africa. Mm. These are pipe dreams, completely crazy pipe dreams. And my view, and uh, I increasingly, People who are thoughtful about the future of the United States have come to the realization that blacks and whites have been trying to live together in this country for 400 years, and it's just not working. If this were a marriage, it would be considered as one with irreconcilable differences. And the (laughs) only solution is, yes, exactly, divorce, divorce, (laughs) liberals. (laughs) Now, what form would divorce take? That's a very difficult question but where there's a will there is of course a way liberals are all very happy for divorce to take place among individuals but Mm. if you start talking to even the most crazed whites who would even say that there's something almost inherent about whites that makes us oppressors makes us racists even they if you ask them well then well then well shouldn't you be happy just for us to go our own way Shouldn't you, be happy, shouldn't you be happy to just be rid of us? Oh, no, 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 we can't do that. Well, why not? Well, we just can't for some reason. But the way, uh, the way blacks and often the most privileged, educated blacks talk about whites, the utter contempt in which they hold us, the assumption that we are incorrigible, you would think that the mm. obvious solution is, well, in that case, Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Just leave each other alone. But no. And I believe that that is a reflection of the fact that deep down somewhere, they realize that if blacks really were left to their own devices, they'd end up with Haiti or they would end up with, uh, uh, well, Botswana is probably the best example. That's the most successful black society there is. But would you rather live in a society that works like Denmark or Sweden one that works like Botswana. Or would you, do you want Haiti? Or do you want Liberia? Or do you want Rio Mooney? I mean, these places are hellholes. But And I think that the, at some level, blacks realize that despite all their nonsense about how oppressive and awful we are and just how they'd build Wakanda if they were just left to their own devices, they really don't believe. Uh, I admire, from that point of view, the, the East Asians so much. The Japanese, uh, as I say, they have a number of real problems, but they want Japan to stay Japanese. It's the same for the Koreans, the Taiwanese, the Chinese. Uh, Singapore has already got a mix of people, but they don't want a different kind of mix, and they want to remain majority Chinese. These are healthy countries. They understand that it is the human composition that makes for a nation. And if you start diluting or mixing or adulterating that human composition, all sorts of bad things are likely to happen. They recognize that. And they recognize it. They recognize it instinctively. Uh, India, for example, it's not a place where I would like to live, but it has its own culture, its own history, its own heritage, if what were happening to India. I'm sorry, if what were happening to the United States in which whites are being reduced to minority were happening to India, would the distinctive aspects of Indian culture survive? No, they wouldn't. It's the same for Turkey or Vietnam or Mexico or any country you pick out. Here we have Mexicans pouring across the border in the United States, insisting on school instruction in Spanish and buying up uh, newspapers and television and uh, uh, electing their representatives to Congress and to the Senate. Uh, Now, if the opposite were taking place, if white people are pouring across the border and just as Mexicans are here or other Latin Americans more likely to go Mm -hmm. on the welfare, more likely to commit crime, and wanting all their own separate facilities, and maybe even talking darkly about becoming a majority someday, the way Hispanics do in certain areas, could the Mexicans possibly be tricked into thinking that this was cultural enrichment? No, only, only white people fall for this guff, that somehow a Frenchman who says that France should be for the French, not only is he wrong, incorrect on some factual basis, presumably, but he's evil. That's white supremacy. And uh, how it is that white people got hornswoggled into believing this sort of thing and acting on this, this really, to me, is one of the great mysteries of our age. There are many theories as to what has resulted in this denatured attitude that whites have to their own countries and to their own race. I don't think any is entirely satisfactory. This is a great mystery. And as Mm. I say, you could never trick any non-white group into thinking that giving away their country to people utterly unlike them was a virtue. It simply couldn't be done. Only white people are susceptible to this.
1: In 2019, my wife and I went to France. And uh, we traveled down to the south uh, because that's where I wanted, we we wanted to see more of the French uh, because Paris is too, Paris is too, is too global. And um, we were on a, we were on a boat uh, going along a, a canal and we obviously chatted to a lot of the locals. And one of the Frenchmen who we saw for a few days in a row, just because we were traveling along the same route. He was so jaded. He said that he was planning on set, on moving his family to Argentina because his words were, they are taking over France.
0: This is not an uncommon point of view, but why does that mentality not result in an upwelling of resistance and a desire to take their own country back. White people run away. In um, in the United States, when a neighborhood becomes majority non-white, the white people run away. When the school that they're sending their children to becomes increasingly non-white, they pull their children out of school and send them to a majority white private school. White people do not have the moral fortitude to be able to say, wait, this is for us. Our ancestors built it for us, not for you. We, we, we wish you well, but on your side of the barter. There is some kind of breakdown in the willingness of white people to do and say the things that every other group would be obvious and take it for granted. Uh, I don't know if you know who Richard Lynn is. Uh, he, he's a... Mm. Uh, 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 a very important uh, scholar of racial differences. And uh, he, he, he just, the way he describes it is, white people are just too nice. We are unable to say, nope, 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 nope. Not for you, not for you, this for us, not for you. And it's admittedly a somewhat harsh thing to say, but if we don't, if we're not capable of saying this, we will go extinct. And that's the great thing about a place like Irania. It's mm. for our people. Our people, nobody else. And they are among the very, very few white people who are saying that, saying it openly, saying it proudly. And so far, they have been very successful at it. You could not find a single elected official in the United States today, and probably not in any European country outside of Eastern Europe, who would say, no, wait a minute. We want our people, the original white people, to be a majority and we have every right to want that there is no such person alive in elective office today despite the fact that I'm sure that like this Frenchman who is going to move to Argentina Mm. there is a large a fairly large percentage of all of the European populations that are sick and tired of this
1: I think I might be walking into a minefield here but I can't help but think I don't that explode. there
0: was. I don't explode.
1: <laughs> I can't <laughs> help but think that Shit. there was. There was a certain German who said no a few decades ago.
0: There is, of course, the theory that uh, it is Jewish intellectuals who have been at the forefront of coming up with all of these theories to undermine any legitimacy of uh, nationalism among whites at least certainly among white Gentiles. It is a great irony, of course, that uh, Israel is a Jewish national state, whereas uh, Jewish intellectuals of the United States say that what's good for Israel would be absolutely anathema for France or for the United States. I think there are a number of historical reasons that uh, Jews have been at the forefront of that kind of theorizing. The crazy thing is that uh, Gentile, white Gentile societies have fallen for this. In in such a in such a spectacular way, uh, I don't know if you had say a, a similar intellectual movement uh, in China or Japan whether or not it would have succeeded. This is certainly part. This is certainly part of what's going on in the in the United States and in Western Europe. Now uh, there are people who then will conclude, okay, that means all Jews are our enemies. Uh, I think that's 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 a big mistake. There are certainly Jews who are entirely on our side of these questions and to just write them off as uh, mortal enemies simply because there is such a preponderance of jews and some of those uh, anti-white intellectual movements i think is a mistake but that's certainly part of it but does that explain it all no i don't think it does i mean people talk about uh well i've just been reading the 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 uh, memoirs of siegfried sassoon he was a world war one poet and he, he, was, uh, he was fought. He, he was literal, literally in the trenches there. And there was just a tremendous disillusion about Western civilization, about Europe, after this horrible fratricidal war. It was extremely demoralizing. And then, what, nine years later, we get into yet another fratricidal war. This is very much part of uh, the demoralization of white people. There are lots of th- things going on there, but certainly there there is unquestionably a Jewish element in this uh, attempt to destroy any moral basis for white racial consciousness. To me, Zionism and an attempt to undermine white racial consciousness are separate things. Uh, I, I'm a Zionist in the sense that uh, I think Jews are a people, and uh, if, I mean, you can talk about the whole founding of the State of Israel, how legitimate was it to displace Palestinians, uh, the people who were there to begin with. But uh, I think uh, the Kurds deserve a homeland. Uh, uh, I think that uh, uh, there are various groups that national, their nations, their nationalities without a nation. And Jews in that sense were such a people. And there's nothing wrong with Jews wanting a homeland of their own, just like there's nothing wrong with American whites uh, wanting a white homeland, or South African whites wanting a white homeland. So uh, that is what Zionism means to me. This is different from if you're a Jewish intellectual saying, okay, an ethnostate's great for my people, but that's impossible, and that's Nazism for your people. That's a different problem. and it, it, it is an important question. The role of Jews and Jewish intellectuals in Gentile societies is a perfectly legitimate uh, subject. That's another taboo, of course, too, mm. uh, to mm. point out uh, uh, certain concentrations of Jews in certain professional areas in the United States. Uh, oh, no, 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 you better not notice. That's uh, just as bad as noti- noticing uh, the concentration of blacks in certain criminal activities. Uh, but mm. uh, I, I don't. I don't think that it is a decisive, overwhelming, and uh, that explains it all. Kind of view of the current demoralization of whites.
1: Yeah, it's a bit more nuanced, is what you're saying.
0: Yes. Yeah. Okay,
1: okay. So I want to horse you back to um, multiculturalism for a little bit, if, if I may. Uh, mm. How how do we balance the dichotomy between all the cultures so for example you mentioned india earlier now india i heard has got thousands of different cultures so that means that there that there are a lot of population groups that are quite different to one another
0: yes well and then what does one do about that uh i think the situation is similar In a nation like France, you were in the south of France. If you're looking for white people, uh, maybe the best place to go would have been Brittany. Brittany is very French. And there are still people who take pride in their local Breton language. So even in these Western countries, there can be different groups, different cultures, if you wish. But these need not be so different as to result in serious conflict. In the United States, uh, there are Southerners. Southerners have different ways of thinking about certain things, about doing certain things, and Northerners and Southerners can laugh at each other, uh, make fun of each other, but it doesn't end up in anything like hostility or the conflict that you have when you have people with different races different and sometimes different religions different languages it is as you say a kind of balancing act there are people who would say that even france itself is illegitimate it should be broken up into regions where the breton can be absolutely Breton and the Gascons, and the people in Alsace-Lorraine, that they should all have their autonomy. I don't take a particularly strong view one way or the other. I believe in local autonomy to the extent possible. I think it's wonderful that in Canada, the, uh, the Québécois have rules about maintaining the French language. That's fine. Uh, Where, at what point does it become so much of a social fault line that it should require real separation, real autonomy? I don't know. But I'm certainly not against secession. I'm certainly not against separation, even among white people, if that is the desire of the populations involved. Think about the Czechs and the Slovaks. They Mm. are not dissimilar people, and yet they decided they would be happier in separate countries. Well, God bless them. It seems to have worked out very well for them. Also in the former Yugoslavia, the separation was much bloodier in that case, except for, I guess it was Slovenia, which separated without hardly a shot fired. But people do have loyalties. They are, they are smaller loyalties, certainly, to, than to our species at large. And some of those loyalties are smaller than to our race at large or to the English li- or to people who speak English. We have all of these concentric circles for our identities. And at what point do you draw the most important lines? That's up for different individuals. It's, that's up to different groups. I'm not going to say it's got to be done here, it's got to be done there. But all of this has to be done with a realization that race is an unbridgeable fault line Mm -hmm. and to pretend that we're going to make this sort of happy mosaic country out of uh, blacks and asians and hispanics and guatemalans and uh, one-legged african lesbians uh, that's nuts
1: you you might know or might not know but south africa is colloquially known as uh, the rainbow nation and of course that's complete nonsense
0: Well, it depends on what you mean by a rainbow. I guess uh, a it rainbow just means black has and white. All these separate colors. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> you have the coloreds, and you have a certain Indian population, and I suppose by now mm. you've got a certain number of Asians living there. Mm. And depending on how you count the colors, I suppose homosexuals are supposed to be one color. The point being that it's all this beautiful mix of different people who all love each other and get along and celebrate their differences and celebrate the. Of course, complete baloney. Everybody knows that. But yes, uh, in the the United States, there's a black organization. uh, uh, It uh, it was uh, uh, Jesse Jackson. Jesse Jackson. He's uh, one of our great black gurus. He had something called the Rainbow Coalition. (laughs) <laughs> what a joke! No, whenever yeah, I see the word rainbow, you know, uh, I know it's all going to be bunkum.
1: Obviously, what you are talking about, though, strongly gravitates towards voluntarism. You're not talking about top-down force, surely. Yes, yes,
0: yes, yes. Absolutely right. And this is something that uh, our opponents never seem to understand. Uh, they they seem to think that, okay, we're going to pass laws. I mean, these people got to go there, or we're going to strip citizenship. We're going to expel those people, those people. that uh, No, it, 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 it always should be a voluntary matter. Of course, once a group has voluntarily established a community, I believe it does have the right to draw boundaries and to decide who is to be a member of that community. But no, the idea that we're gonna be marching people out of the country at gunpoint, uh, no, our opponents love that sort of thing. But, uh, and you, you had mentioned the term white supremacy before. And this is, I believe, it's such a popular term. And if you look it up uh, in Google, see how frequently the word has been used. That's just been gaining, uh, oh, for the last 20 years. White supremacy has just been on the rise. Boy, oh, boy, the stormtroopers must just be marching through the country. uh. But it's because racism no longer has quite the sting that it used to. It used to be that if you called white people racist, well, it's still bad, but uh, if they're racist, I mean, practically everything's racist these days. Math is racist, astronomy is racist, being on time is racist. Uh, Music theory is racist for heaven's sake. But white supremacy, oh boy, that's got real sting to it. And of course, people use that term because they want to evoke slavery. They want to evoke lynching. They want to evoke colonization. Uh, you know, the, the Belgian Congo brutalizing Africans. Uh, that, that's what white supremacy is all about. Slavery. To me, oh yes, did I forget slavery? Sorry. <laughs> yes. uh, all of that is evoked by the term white supremacy. And to me, white supremacy was a thing that did exist. Uh, and there's there's no question. Uh, the, the French used to talk about their mission civilisatrice, their civilizing mission. You know? And uh, the Brits did the same. We're going to really bring civilization to these backward people. And to a large extent, they did. And it was based on a view of a hierarchical view of human beings. That is a historically limited term. I don't know if there's anyone in the world who thinks that white people want to or ought to rule over people of other races, the way people thought about the world, certainly thought about Africa and some other parts of the colonized world a hundred years ago. I don't think that there is such a person who wants to rule over. The people that are now called white supremacists are people who just want to be left alone. White people think, well, no, 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 no. Uh, We really want to be able to direct our own destiny free from the embrace of people who are unlike ourselves. Now that's white supremacy. All it really is, is nationalism or a sense of separation or simply wanting the kinds of rights over one's destiny that we take for granted if any non-white group were to express those sentiments. But it's a term that people will use to try to undercut, demoralize and delegitimize any Mm. sense of white racial consciousness. At the same time, uh, sometimes it it will be defined as people who think that whites are superior to all other races. Well, uh, East Asians are objectively, by many counts, superior to whites. Illegitimacy rates, crime rates, uh, IQ, Mm. income, in the United States, all sorts of the kinds of civilizations that they build, the nations they build are, in many objective terms, superior. Does that mean that I want to be ruled by Asians or do I want to be replaced by Asians, do I want to become Asian? No, no. We've got our own ways of doing things. We like it better. But then to somehow call you or me a white supremacist is absolutely ridiculous. And I can't tell you how many times I've explained why it's ridiculous to a New York Times reporter or Washington Post reporter. And it does no good. I'm a white supremacist, nonetheless.
1: It goes through one year and goes out the other year.
0: It, it's true. They, they will nod and uh, you think mm-hmm. they're paying attention and maybe they are and maybe it's their editor who decides that I'm a white supremacist after all, but you just cannot get through to them.
1: What's interesting about Irania? you're talking about white supremacy and they've been accused also of being white supremacist, but what's funny is that they don't want to rule over black people. They have white Ooh. people doing the building of their own housing. For example
0: yes 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 uh, what was it uh, that joke about uh uh south african whites uh uh they'd rather be have their throats slit in their beds than have to make them themselves you know, something like that uh, that they're so dependent on black manual labor uh no that's that's a great thing about irania and that has mm. always been the problem with white people when there were other groups that were willing to work for lower wages uh i guess slave wages are the lowest of all but here in the united states the temptation to hire guatemalans or mexicans Mm. or these days uh uh, even from people from south africa south america uh, it's a strong temptation if you really have people who are are willing to live Tend to, a, tend to a bedroom in some uh, junky place and who will work for half the prevailing wage, it's its a real temptation to hire those people. And then you just turn the other way when they get drunk and stab each other and need interpreters when they have to go to court and uh, their children uh, are all on welfare. It, it's a very, very self-centered, but it's a typically white way of looking at things. And that, of course, is, I agree, one of the very, very admirable things about Irania. Even all the ditch diggers, all the people who clean the sewers, all of that's done by white people. And I think it's an absolutely wonderful thing. I would love to visit sometime. I don't know if they accept tourists. Uh, of course I, they I do. I would think, uh, no, uh, well, I'd, I, will, I would love to visit sometime. And if you do, I will join you. Well, great. I assume you have been. Uh,
1: I, I have not been. It's it's right in the middle of the country, and it's it's yeah. basically it's far away from from civilization (laughs) (laughs) and that's by design yes
0: on the other hand much as i admire orania it's exactly as you say it's this out of the way place that has been scratched really out of uh, the parched desert as i understand it Uh, does that mean that for white people to be able to live amongst themselves and to cherish their own people and culture, that's the only way they can do it? Do we really have to leave the great metropolitan centers that our ancestors built over hundreds of years? Are those going to fall into the hands of people utterly unlike us or the renegade whites who are caught up in all of this? Is Is all we're going to have left these unoccupied wilderness areas? That would be, I mean, that's better than going extinct, better than becoming irrelevant, but it is a form of defeat also.
1: I mean, on that note, where do you see white people heading?
0: Well, uh, a lot of people I know are heading to the other side of what we used to call the Iron Curtain. And, you know, we used to feel so sorry for the people living under the yoke of communism, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Of course, uh, they were not exposed to the the, the terrible self-abasing poisons that have uh, taken over in so much of the West. Uh, But is that a solution? Uh, I suppose it can be a partial solution, assuming that those countries remain healthy. But I see them as a kind of a race against time. I, I was in Estonia, oh, I guess it was about three years ago. And I was sitting in a hotel room and they had BBC TV piped into the place. Well, BBC TV is just the most degenerate, multi uh, global homo kind of thing you can possibly imagine. and But it's very glamorous, very slick. All of these snazzily dressed, uh, cool people doing degenerate but attractive and trendy things. And uh, Estonia, as, uh, as you probably know, does have uh, at least one of its coalition partners, uh, the conservative Est- Estonian Conservative People's Party, who are very explicit. You know, Estonia is for Estonians. And for the most part, they've succeeded in keeping it that way. But the West is richer. There are many Estonian young people who go off to Germany because they can uh, get paid more than uh, in a job in Estonia. So there is this tension. There's this tension between loyalty to one's heritage and an ability to keep the West out. But then all of this glamorously packaged uh, degeneracy combined with greater wealth that's uh, just over the horizon. I I just hope that the Baltic Republics, uh, the Eastern Europeans can maintain a kind of cultural, racial, religious homogeneity long enough so that they can achieve a standard of living that means they don't have to go overseas if they really want to get paid top wages it's uh, i'm not sure i'm not entirely confident that the eastern europeans are going to win out on that despite the fact that they have a huge advantage over americans for example
1: is communism the enemy of white people
0: i don't think uh there's anything left that i would call communism People talk about uh, Marxists, this guy's a Marxist. Well, does he does he really believe in uh, the class struggle and uh, the dictatorship of the proletariat and the state withering away? Uh, does he really believe that there's going to be a synthesis and an antithesis, uh, a thesis and antithesis and synthesis, and that there's going to be the, the inevitable triumph of the proletariat? Uh, Uh, I don't think many people even think in those terms. Now, when people talk about Marxism today, uh, I think it's often used as carelessly as the term fascism is used to describe people who are illiberal. It's just a kind of a general smear word, Marxists, communists. Uh, I mean, who's a genuine communist these days? I mean, there are communists. There's a communist party in Japan, not very significant. There's a communist party in, in France, a little bit more significant, but they sure don't talk about the withering away of the state from each according to his ability to each according to his need. They don't quote the, the communist manifesto to me. Uh, when people talk about communism as a great threat to to the West, I think uh, they're, they're the misusing language. There are many threats, but I wouldn't consider orthodox, doctrinaire, or even, I don't know, third-generation communism as a genuine, legitimate threat.
1: There is certainly some truth in what you're saying, if I were to think about it, because even the Chinese <laughs> Communist Party is not really communist. Yeah.
0: No, no, no. Do they ever talk about Marx? They don't hardly talk. They hardly quote, quote Mao anymore. They're they're, they're uh, they are a um, a tightly knit group that is certainly not trying to establish the classless society. I mean, was it Deng Xiaoping? He's to 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 grow rich is glorious, and not everybody's going to grow rich. It's it's a kind of a. Uh, Uh, a cabal that runs the country, in some respects for the benefit of the Chinese. I think that uh, uh, the Chinese Communist Party does really care about the future of the country and the future of Chinese. But they also care very, very deeply about their own privileges, their own power. But they haven't completely betrayed their people the way I think uh, the Soviets, at the worst, were mistreating their people. But no, uh, but I, but I'm j- only to agree with the main point that you're making—that to call this communist in any in any orthodox sense uh, is, is a mistake.
1: How quickly is the West imploding? Because it clearly is, and why is that happening? In in your opinion?
0: Well, the why, as I said before, is to me the unfathomable problem here, and it happened. Pretty quickly, a hundred years ago, uh, white people were still pretty healthy minded. Although, if you look into the history of the British Empire and the way it treated people of different races, there was, uh, uh, as I recall, there was a certain amount of uh, immigration from India into South Africa. And... The this was a time when the British were running the show, but they weren't able to say wags out, so to speak. They weren't able to say no Indians. And so they had this thing, as I recall correctly, called the Natal test. And if you wanted to immigrate, you had to be able to take dictation in a language. Now, you had to take the dictation correctly, and if it were an Indian who spoke perfect English, they'd go dig up somebody to give him dictation in Afrikaans. And uh, for that reason, say that he couldn't get in. So they had these strange subterfuges and stratagems to try to keep people out without being explicit about it. And in the case of Canada, when there were non-white immigrants going to Canada, they had all of these crazy rules about uh it was you had to be in a ship that uh, made a transit from britain rather than directly from uh africa rather than say Okay, if you're in Indi- or, or, or from India, I think it was more the question of Indians um, migrating. They, wouldn't, they, couldn't say, they couldn't bring themselves to say, no Indians, no Indians. They had to come up with some alternate way of keeping them out. I was very surprised to discover this. I would have thought at the time that uh, the British were perfectly capable of saying, no, uh, we want the place to stay white. Even at the height of colonial power, they were unable to do this. So the instincts were there. But once again, once again, even in the days of Cecil Rhodes, it was very difficult for white people to say to non-whites, no, you have got to be there and let us be here. That's a very tough thing for white people to say. But how quickly are we imploding? Oh, it would be very difficult to, Give some expression in miles per hour or degeneracy (laughs) per decade. (laughs) How quickly will the United States become utterly impotent, for example? That will not happen for at least several decades, I suspect. Now, I don't know. Part of what sustains the United States is, of course, that all the world is perfectly prepared to buy American government debt. If the dollar ceased to be the world reserve currency, then the United States might collapse in a surprisingly short amount of time. Uh, our uh, debt to GDP, it's over 100%, it's 125%. Uh, and when you think about that, uh, and uh, what I, I think our debt service, simply paying the interest on the debt, is accounting now for 15% or so of uh, the national budget. Can you imagine trying to run a company on that basis or a household? It's utterly, utterly irresponsible and unsustainable. And yet, when you have a a few people in the United States Congress who talk seriously about keeping government spending under control, oh, they're mean-spirited, they're extremists, they're no good, uh, the balloon has got to pop at some point. And uh, the American balloon is not magical. The American balloon is not invulnerable. And if we keep going at the rate we're going, it's going to pop. Now, what consequences that will have for the rest of the world, uh, I think they could be very Mm. bad. But does that mean that South Africa should be preparing for that possibility in some way? Uh, I, I, I really couldn't tell you. I, I, mm. just, I just don't know. Th- these, are, these are large questions that for which I, I wish I had answers. But mm. to me, the greater degeneracy and the one that is more concerning and the one over which uh, uh, I, I, I can take more uh, nuanced and uh, explicit positions is this turning away from all the traditions of Western civilization, objectivity, the scientific method, evidence-based uh, approach to solving problems, Uh, this, this utterly foolish, turning against everything about America, about its past, about its founding, about the people who came here and built it. And I will give you an example. And this is a case of deterioration and degeneracy that I would never have anticipated. But during the BLM riots, the Black Lives Matter riots of 2020, as you know, this was really just an astonishing uprising of, of violence and chaos. Uh, uh, nowadays, compared to the January 6 riots, it's considered to have been just, just, um, just the mildest sort of disturbance in American mythology, you see. The only, the only riot in American history that ever mattered for liberals today was the January 6 riots on the Capitol. But in any case, uh, no fewer than 30 states had to call out the National Guard to keep the peace. No fewer than 300 cities had curfews because that was the only way to maintain order. And hundreds and hundreds of monuments and statues were torn down. No fewer than 30 statues and monuments to Christopher Columbus were either torn down by the mob or rescued from the mob by the city authorities who thought that their little darlings might hurt themselves while they were pulling down these statues. Now, what on earth does Christopher Columbus have to do with so-called black anger or grievance? Back in the 1960s, during the race riots in that era, no one would have thought that it was an appropriate response to black anger, legitimate or illegitimate, to pull down a statue of Christopher Columbus. What this says is that if Christopher Columbus has got to go in the name of racial justice, that means the entire enterprise of the United States was illegitimate from the start. Christopher Columbus was the guy who brought the plague, brought white people to North America. This to me, this to me is utterly inexplicable kind of turning against oneself that even 10 years ago, I would never have anticipated, never. All that has happened, and so... The West, the United States at any rate, degenerates at varying rates of speed. I've been in this business of watching it deteriorate and writing about it for more than 30 years. And there's been this sort of gradual decline. But then we get to May of 2020. All of a sudden, what was going like this just went whoop. Mm. Uh, And I, I suppose if it happened on account of George Floyd, Something else could have set it off, but I never expected this. I never expected to see scores, hundreds, of uh, nice-looking white girls shouting, white silence is violence. White silence is violence. When you think about that, yeah, oh, that was a common slogan. White silence is violence. In other words, the thinking is if you white people, if we white people, are silent about the oppression of blacks. That's as bad as violence. No, uh, if if white people by remaining silent are committing violence. I mean, white it's people have superpowers. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, we're committing silence in our sleep. Uh, once I'm dead, I'll be committing silence from the from the from the grave. I wish I was oh, that powerful. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But uh, uh, <laughs> the idea that white people are by doing nothing, by doing nothing. White people are guilty. This, this kind of thinking I would never have anticipated. And this is now, the phrase white, white silence is violence has lost uh, some of the popularity it had during, in the midst of those riots. But still, the idea of critical race theory in the United States is that white people are inherently somehow oppressive. That we are born with this nature that makes us incapable of treating other people fairly. And that, whether we know it or not, unconsciously we are rigging American society in a way that unfavorably benefits white people and puts its boot on the neck of all non-white people. It's ridiculous, uh, though, I, Jared.
1: It's ridiculous because <laughs> yes. it's an in, it's an infinite loop. You, there is no way out. No, if you That's if you right. if you say one thing, then you're racist, and if you don't say something, you're a racist.
0: Well, I'll tell you there are plenty of people my age, we boomers who were th- who lived in the 1960s and uh, the whole idea there was, we're going to just disassemble, dismantle all kinds of racial consciousness, racial awareness. And we're all just gonna be Americans. And the idea is to treat everybody the same. Now, if you say that, you are guilty of unconscious racism or colorblind racism racism. So here are these people who when they were young, they were told, no, we're going to treat everybody the same. And they bought that. And white people really did dismantle any form of racial consciousness. They really held up there in the bargain. All the while, of course, blacks and Hispanics, uh, they were building up their racial consciousness. Everything is racial. And now white people are suddenly being told, no, 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 treating everybody the same is no good. Uh, colorblind, that's colorblind racism. Well, what the hell are we supposed to do? Well, you've got to be conscious of your nature as an oppressor, and you've got to spend the rest of your life fighting white privilege. And ordinary white people hear this stuff and their eyes get big as saucers, and they say, this wasn't part of the deal. And they are, many of them of course, coming to sites like American Renaissance, looking at our videos, but they still have no political voice. There are there are signs of people trying to fight this critical race theory, keeping it out of schools. Generally, it's critiqued as being, oh, it's divisive. Well, it's just absolutely anti-white. And increasingly, mm-hmm. some people are calling it anti-white and the willingness of whites to stand up for their own interests. And this is an example of it. This is one of the rare examples in the last 50 years of whites saying, oh, no, 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 no. This has gone too far, but it's all defensive action, pure defensive action. nobody is moving white interests forward in any substantial way
1: but there's also something very inherently <laughs> racist about the critical race theory idea in 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 the sense that by referring to you and I as these all-powerful beings, it's suggesting that we are all-powerful beings and that they are inferior.
0: That's correct. It is a kind of uh, inverted white supremacy, if you wish, that simply by thinking a few impure thoughts, you and I are somehow making black people shoot each other or get pregnant or take drugs uh, or nod out on crack, uh, whatever it is, exactly. That they have no no capacity to direct their own affairs. They are marionettes, they are putty in our hands, and all we have to do is uh, say the word uh, n i g g e r and somehow they will drop out of school or get bad grades no you 're absolutely right it treats them as insects and we are 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 all powerful but they never seem to realize that but there 's something else i 've just
1: realized i 've just realized now by saying that are they are they suggesting that there 's a way out or is this a permanent structure that they will always <laughs> be inferior to the supremacy and the
0: majesticness of we white people. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, often, when you have people like Robin D'Angelo or Ibram Kendi or Tanahisi Coates, these are some of the great anti-white gurus these days, they will say that white people can never be non-racist. The best we can ever hope is to be anti racist. And anti racism, trying to be non racist, is a lifelong journey. So, this is like a religion for which there is no salvation. We believe all of these things, but we're going to go to hell no matter what happens. I Mm -hmm. suppose. We will go to hell and sizzle on the slightly less hot skillet if we have been on this journey of anti-racism, but we can never overcome this original sin of racism. I agree. It really sets white people up as some kind of unique monsters. And they, they, don't, they don't seem to have uh, the slightest awareness of that either. I remember years ago, uh, I was invited to speak on a black uh, uh, radio, program and uh it, it was very interesting i i sometimes listen to black radio stations because it's very interesting to say what black people say about us and uh, i knew what answer i would get and they were talking about how all the horrible things white people have ever done and i said well do you think white people are just uniquely exploitative that there's something about us that just makes us behave in these awful ways they said yes there was a couple of guys two hosts i think i said well um, what's the solution and uh, they were silent uh, i said well isn't the obvious solution just to exterminate us just to get rid of us mm-hmm. if we can't be there's there's nothing we can't be saved we can't be we can't be made any other way I said, yeah yeah absolutely right absolutely right so so that 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 is the logical that is the logical uh, mm-hmm. conclusion we are hopelessly racist so uh, wouldn't it be a great service to the world if we were just blasted off the planet? Every one of us killed? And there are a number of blacks who will openly say that. There are even a certain number of non-whites who would say that, who would or who would say, "Well, I can see they'd be justified just shooting us down in the streets. Yeah, we've sure been awful. What kind of no, no other no people of any other race would behave this way? We have this astonishing capacity to consider ourselves as evil. Why White people are in this business, too. No, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's incomprehensible. I, I sometimes, sometimes think, well, white people just don't deserve to survive if really that's the way they're made, that's the way they think, and that's the way they talk about themselves. In fact, nature is very cruel. Nature doesn't care. If some organism mm-hmm. does not take the basic steps to, preserve, to ensure its survival, it's gone. And if whites as a group do not take the basic steps necessary to ensure our survival as a group, we're gone. And uh, that seems to be something that is uniquely difficult for white people to do, take those steps. How do we
1: manage the tug of war between the idea of the individual and the idea of the collective? That's a very
0: important point. I don't know if you've read uh, Kevin McDonald's uh, latest book on the individual, individuality of, of white people. I haven't read it. Uh, that is, well, it's, uh, it's a very interesting investigation into why white people are so reluctant to think collectively. And that really is one of our defects. It's also one of our strengths. I think that that's why we've been such a uniquely inventive race. We may not have the highest IQ, but I think we have the more the, the, the largest number of geniuses. Uh, genius seems to require not just high IQ, but in many cases, a, a kind of brutal lack of concern for what other people think about you. You're just gonna go off and do this thing, even if everybody thinks you're a fool, a kind of uh, resolute individuality. I think that is something unique uh, about whites. But this sense of being in it. Everybody's in it for himself and unwilling to think about uh, the greater interests of the society, of the nation, of the race, even of the family in some cases. This is a terrible defect. And I don't know how you get white people or any other group of people to think in terms of the group if they don't do so instinctively. But the great advantage that all of the non-whites have, for the most part, is that they do still instinctively think in terms of their own national racial group. As I said before, the East Asians aren't reproducing themselves, and that's a real problem. You have uh, these WAGs in Japan who sort of calculate uh, at what point in uh, the 22nd century the last Japanese will die off because uh, they're more dying than being born. This is sort of a gruesome and morbid look into the future. They have that problem too. But uh, you are absolutely correct. Uh, White people tend to be very individual, very self-centered. And unless they are able to think in terms of their collective future, then even individually, they're unlikely to have a future. How you instill that into people who don't feel it instinctively, I don't know. But I think at the very least, it's very important for us to talk about how this differentiates us from other people. And I think once people have children they're more likely to think in terms of the group. Having children changes a lot of people's minds, Mm -hmm. and if you ask white people, well, do you really want your children to be a minority in this country? Because, as you can tell, they're not just going to be a minority, they're going to be a despised minority, in some cases, an exploited minority. That also, gets them thinking. But unquestionably, I think, you know, we're talking about the reasons for why we have been so easily denatured. I think it is this individuality that's been characteristic of the West. And when we lived only amongst our own people, except when we were attacked by outsiders, uh, it was good to have... Uh, a kind of sense of rugged individualism, making on your own, thinking on your own. That's really how all kinds of progress is made. But this has now become one of our abiding weaknesses as well.
1: Do you think the idea of white people has always been...? Um, I ask because, for example, I've been watching that series um, about Vikings. When we talk about white people, has do you think it's been something we've always spoken about as white people? <sighs>
0: No. uh, You would never think of yourself as white in an all-white society. The question wouldn't come up. Uh, The Vikings, maybe the ones who had traveled far, were aware of the existence of people who looked unlike them. But in their daily lives, or if they went raiding on the coast of Ireland or of of, uh, Great Britain, Uh, they didn't think of themselves as white they thought of themselves as vikings Uh, they had their own group and and after all if whites really did think of themselves as white in any meaningful sense and realized that as whites as fellow whites they had value you wouldn't have had the the napoleonic wars you wouldn't have had the 30 years War, the 100 years war you wouldn't have had all of this vicious bloodletting whites on whites but they lived in a continent that, as far as they were concerned, was the center of the universe. They didn't care about any of those other people out there, and often they didn't even know of their existence. It's only in the sense, it's only in comparison to non-whites that whites, who may have been battling each other for hundreds of years, realize how much they haven't come. Mm. When I was in Hungary in 2014, uh, it was very tough for me. Uh, dealing with Hungarians who are asking themselves, well, who do we hate more, the Slovaks or the Romanians? Well, okay, yes, I know about the Treaty of Trianon and uh, what used to be a large country was chopped up into pieces and the Slovaks got part of it. And uh, Okay, I understand that. But, fellas, you got bigger fish to fry. Uh, I understand. And they would say, well, uh, you Americans, you've never been invaded. You have no idea what it's like. Well fortunately, I was able to say to them, "Well, yes, uh, I have my country has been invaded. It was invaded uh, from 1861 to 1865. All my ancestors fought for a nation that was destroyed. Its entire period of existence was one of constant warfare. And it was snuffed out by an invading power. And that, that, that might make them. And I'd say, on the other hand, uh, we Southerners have really come to terms with our conquerors. And you've got to get around to that, too. And you've got to think in terms of what we have in common rather than what we don't. But... Uh, a thousand years ago, no, there's no reason for Vikings to mm. have thought of themselves as anything other than Vikings. And if you didn't speak their language, well, then you were a possible slave and uh, just to be raped, pillaged. Uh, that, that that was the way things worked in those days.
1: And by extension, the same would apply to the Romans and the Roman Empire, because that was all they saw.
0: Yes. Yes. So of mm. course, the Romans—they've been around enough so that they knew they—they they were in North Africa, they were in the Middle East, uh, uh, but they certainly didn't have any sense when they w- met when they met uh, uh, Germanic tribes, for example. Mm. They mm. don't seem to have thought of them as any closer to them than uh, the Saracens or the Parthians or the the Nubians or whoever else they were battling. No. it... Uh, uh, no, the fact is, human beings are extremely tribal and they can carve themselves up into different groups according to language, according to religion, according to territory, according to accent, according to religion. We are not naturally people who feel a loyalty to large, large, abstract numbers. We're just not that way. We've had millions of years of evolution in which our loyalty had to be to our band or we didn't survive. And so, White people, just like everybody else, can take the slightest little excuse for coming up with some kind of parochial loyalty. But white people got to realize that certainly, in the greater scheme of things, that is all something we have to put put behind us. And that's why I'm so appalled and grieved by this war in Ukraine. Here you have young white men in countries with terrible fertility rates as it is. Slaughtering each other like this? I never thought I would see the day something like this is going to happen again. This is absolutely grievous. And instead of encouraging it and pumping war, uh, pumping all kinds of support and weapons into this battlefield, we should be putting every possible pressure on making the thing stop. No, it's, it's a horrible, grievous thing. And uh, I mm-hmm. hope Uh, if I were a praying man, I would be praying every day for peace and an end to this terrible mutual slaughter of white people.
1: You're standing on the battleground of the information war and you're looking out at the horizon. What is it that you see?
0: Mm. Well, I think we opened this conversation with a very similar question. What I see is, certainly in the United States, which is the country I know best, but there are parallels throughout the Western white world. And that is, we're in the face of a dogma, a dogma of egalitarianism, a dogma that insists that all groups are interchangeable. And now the idea that men and women are interchangeable. We see, we are in an informational battlefield in which the other side is really fighting a war against human nature. They're fighting a war against reality. and They are failing so miserably that it is easy to point out where they are wrong. But that is intolerable to them because nobody wishes to be pointed out that they're wrong. And because they they cannot explain why they are right, their tactic is simply to shut us up. That is the war we are in now. And it would be possible, I suppose, to tear down every single alternative to YouTube or to Twitter. Twitter is perhaps moving in a more for free speech direction. But to me, the real real enemy we have, or at least one manifestation of the real enemy, is this unwillingness even to grapple with the facts, much less come up with any kind of interpretation of them that makes sense. So you in your foxhole and I in my foxhole, although we're separated by thousands of miles, we are fighting absolutely the same enemy and uh, i wish you every success in your battle jared taylor where can i follow your work american renaissance website amran a-m-r-e-n dot com that's where you will get podcasts and videos and discussions and i think a lot of things that uh, i hope will interest your viewers you said you're not a praying
1: man, but I'm going to say God bless you and thank you for joining me in, in the trenches.
0: Well, it's been my pleasure and God bless you. Thank you very much.
1: <laughs> my name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas.
0: If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit
1: supportgerm.com.